I'm Ken Hemmings, and he is Chris Lang, and welcome to another of these regular property briefings. Again, a warm welcome to you, Chris. Thanks. I'm happy to be back here with you. If we follow sequence, this episode should be about the final step nine in your investment formula. But in looking back over earlier episodes, I noticed we have already recorded a a two-part segment on stealth marketing. So I thought we might try something a little bit different this week. Sure. That's fine with me. What have you got in mind? Well, rather than simply revisit the same material... I thought you may care to explain to our listeners just how marketing overall has changed over the past decade or so. Yeah, it's interesting, Ken. You know, what people used to do in the 1900s, the latter part of the 1900s, and what has occurred as a progressive change over the past 10 years or so, it means that the dollar you used to spend on marketing and advertising is no longer producing the results that you had come to expect. And it's probably worth our listeners pausing for a moment and just thinking about in their own business activities how things are not producing the same results. Now, they may engage in some direct mail or even a little PR, but mostly the marketing or takes the form of media advertising where the principal aim is to establish and build a firm's brand. And the method of doing that has really been to, in the past, to pitch your advertising at the world at large. It's not really highly focused. And your efforts tend to want to interrupt the reader In other words, or the listener on television, it may be the ads are trying to get your attention as you read the newspaper or magazine. And in essence, the relationship is only one way. In other words, it's, it's you trying to reach them. It's not interactive. And that relates to the selling of your, of your products or your services. And the problem you've got is that once each campaign ends, your desired effect and the impact of what you're trying to do, the message, totally vanishes. Now, what you find is that ad agencies are striving to outcreate one another and probably to win an award at the end of the year at their industry functions. And what in the past has, has happened is that most advertising people and corporate firms consider advertising, direct mail, public relations to be three totally different activities. And they don't they see them as as related but with different aims and expectations. Now the sad thing is that by clinging to this traditional approach they're finding that they no longer seem to be achieving the the sort of results they've been used to in the years past. And that's principally because the internet has now transformed the control and transferred it squarely into the hands of your prospects, your customers and your clients. And whereas in the past you could profitably adopt 
a push marketing approach or an outbound marketing approach as your main method of, of delivery, unfortunately, that's no longer the case. You see, with this power shift, it means that pull marketing or inbound marketing strategies now dominate because of the internet. In other words, people can choose what they want to hear and when they want to hear it. And so the traditional megaphone approach of standing at the the, the top of the mountain and shouting out what you've got and and taking big ads, and you notice that in the newspapers of late, the ads are getting bigger and bigger. They're getting whole page, in some cases double page ads, because the impact of the ads is falling away. And so they're having to shout louder, but the public really don't want that. And perhaps the easiest way to fully appreciate this is if you watch, there was an ad Old Spice put together, and, and those of us in the 1970s remember Old Spice. It was the only men's aftershave lotion. It just dominated the market. And then it fell away as all these other designer brands came on board. Anyway, I think about a couple of years ago, they ran this campaign on the internet and it was just, it was brilliant. It's been viewed by over 20 million people. It went viral. And it was just a series of very clever three-minute videos. And it's worth going onto the, the web to have a look at them because they're just so clever. And as I said, it, was just, it just went viral. And so through very little expense, they were able to put together these four or five videos in the series, put them up on YouTube, and the public did the rest because it's now pull marketing, not push marketing, that's dominating the, the marketplace. And so what the, the savvy marketers are realising is that a lot of the activity happens under the radar and it's not overt, it's not expensive. And that means that you're now in a position to keep your competitors totally in the dark as to exactly what you're doing while you act, capture a strategic advantage that you're after. And therefore, if you choose not to embrace this massive shift that's occurring in how your marketing message needs to be delivered, then you're doing so at your peril. And I think even back in 2010, Bill Gates came out and said, it's a fantastic time to enter the business world because business is going to change more in the next 10 years than it did in the last 50. And so what's happened is that the small guys can now take on the big guys. And the big guys are like the Queen Mary, whereas the small guys are like a little speedboat. And so you can test something. If it doesn't work, you drop it. But you, can, you don't have to roll out a multi-million dollar advertising campaign. You can very quickly test it on the internet and see what the response is and then develop it from there. And so the, the whole game, the rules of the game have changed. And so maybe it's worth looking at what those four or five rules are, if you like, just to, to encapsulate how the, the, the game has changed. And so the, the world of marketing and public relations has really come together. And what you'll, you'll quickly discover is that, that marketing is far more than merely advertising. You see, your customers don't want hype. They want reality. And therefore, your marketing efforts need to be targeted towards specific audiences. And this is where the internet allows you to do that. You can actually narrow it down, whether it's on with Facebook ads or AdWords, with Google, 
you can target your market down to a very tight, even down to postcodes, so that the only people seeing your ads and the only ads you're paying for are those directed at the market that you're seeking to reach. So instead of taking national ads in the newspaper, you can target, put a short video together and then target it to a specific niche market that you know is what you're after. So you don't have to waste dollars. You can go straight to your target now. And your customers are seeking involvement and they want to do that at a time of their choosing. And that's why people opt in to receive publications, whether they be blogs or feeds, RSS feeds or or whatever it is. And the beauty is that they can opt in and they can opt out and you have no control over that. Now, that's scary for some people. And I know, you know, other colleagues of mine, they say, oh, we had a whole lot of people opt out of our list. And I say, "Well, well, so what? I mean, you only want to deal with the people that are interested in what you have to offer them. If they opt out, they're telling you they're not interested. So you don't, you don't measure your success by having a big list. You measure your success by how the list that you've got responds to what you offer. And so it's a totally different mindset and, and, uh, and metrics that you need to see this occur. And what you also find is that you only attract and keep customers by using great online content that will genuinely educate them. And you do that primarily through your website. And most still, most people's website are just glorified corporate brochures. They're not there to educate, to provide information, helpful information. They will about you and your product. But sometimes before people will commit to your product, they need to be taken by the hand. People love to be led, particularly now and be shown how by making small steps at the beginning they can progress through and how your product along the way or service can help them reach the goal that they want to reach. So it's no longer saying we have the greatest product, here it is, come and buy it. You have to actually walk them through and educate them because they have to come to know, like and trust you before they're prepared to actually embrace what it is that you have to offer. So whereas marketing used to be one way and to the masses, it now needs to be very personalised and on demand. And basically you need to think of yourself as a publisher. You're in the information business. You have to provide more information about your product and service and what it is you're offering to make your potential customer and even your existing customers, comfortable to buy and continue to buy what it is that you are offering. And, you know, hopefully you have gained some understanding of how it has changed over the last 10 years. But that by itself isn't really of much value. You really ought to know why it's changed and how you can master what's needed to take full advantage and implement that in your own business and your own activities so that you bring real value to the marketplace. You know, I find that fascinating because I'm sure all our listeners would now be starting to think about how this might apply to their own businesses and not just commercial property. 
Tell me, is that what's behind the three-step process you explained during the earlier episodes? Yeah, look, it is. And perhaps let me quickly recap the process or the principle that direct market has developed back in the 1970s, 1980s, was that if you can get people to read the first 50 words, they'll then go on and read the next 500. If you get them to read that, they'll then go on to read the next 5,000 words. Now, if you think about it, that's really the pull principle as opposed to the push principle in marketing. Now, when we're talking about the first 50 words, if you're talking about an ad or a brochure, you're talking about the headline and the subheadline. If you're writing a letter or an email, it's the first one or two paragraphs. And you see, what most people don't understand is that you don't have to completely convince and sell your prospect on everything about your product or service in the first encounter. What you want to do is give them enough information and tease their interest, leaving the key bits out so that they choose to take the next step. In other words, move from the 50 words to the 500 words. And I know with a lot of my colleagues, they, they just want to pack so much into the ads that go into the newspaper. And all you need to do is to flag the interest of someone who could be in, interested in the property and could be a potential purchaser and pique that interest to the point where they say, I need to find out more. And that's when you take them to the the web page, the website, the landing page on your website. And that web page then is the 500 words. And so you take them a little bit further and fill out a few gaps and then leave it to the point where they say, I need to have more. I've got enough. I, this is something I am interested in. So then they register and go to the next point, And that's the 5,000 words. And once you've got them there, provided you, your copy's good, they are there because they choose to be there. So they have said, I've moved from the 50 words, you've got my attention. The 500 words, yes, you've told me and explained that that's something I am after. So I now choose and I will spend as long as is necessary to read that 5,000 words. And the 500 and 5,000 are figurative. I mean, obviously, it might be 30 words, it might be 80 words in the beginning. But it's the concept of taking it in three stages. So by the time they reached the 500 and then the 5,000, they are the ones seeking out the information. You are no longer pushing it down their throats. Now, what's interesting is when people write emails, and I, I say to people, you've got to think of an email as a letter without a stamp. And the reason I say that is because when these principles were developed, Direct marketers used to write letters and post them to people. Now, if you didn't have a well-crafted letter, and you can imagine you're rolling out 10,000 of these letters, and each letter is going to cost you 50 cents, that's $5,000 a pop. So if you, don't, if you don't get it right, you lose money. And the problem is that because email is costless, effectively, people have become sloppy in their choice of language and phraseology, and they spend little or no time crafting an email that works. Sometimes they write these long, convoluted emails that are all over the place. And what I find is 
sometimes the best responses I've got are from short emails that compel people to respond. They have to respond to get more information. And it's that, the same principle. You don't try and make the sale in the first contact because email was originally developed as a conversation piece between scientists and they would send an email to each other asking a question and, and he would respond or she would respond and they go back and forth. That's what email was all about originally. Now, what marketers have got onto it, they've got into e-brochures and bulk emails that have no personalisation or, or any format. They're spread right across the page. It's a very confusing and people have just got tired of and overloaded with emails. But I'm finding the response by carefully choosing the subject line, making it personal and keeping it short, but designing it in a way that you are anticipating a response from them. The way it's drafted, they they feel compelled to respond. And so, yes, it is, and it all comes down to the change from push to pull marketing. Before we began today, you mentioned something about how there were 40-year cycles at work which impact upon how people react in Western society. Would you like to expand on that a little? Yes, I stumbled across a book called Pendulum by Roy Williams and Michael Drew. And they came up with this concept that every 40 years, society, Western society moves from a me to a we cycle and then back to a me cycle. And unlike most people who then set out to do the research to prove their theory right, they went the other way and went back 300 odd years to try and prove their theory wrong. And when they found that they couldn't prove it wrong, in fact, I think they went back further than that, they were convinced that it was right. Now, just I, we won't have time today to cover it all. And, and so what I'll do is, Ken, I'll, I'll provide a link to a white paper where I've summarised the essence of the book and more from a hands-on use tomorrow perspective because it goes into a fair amount of theory. But I, haven't, I will include, or there has been included in this white paper, a link to a short two and a half minute video, which will give a bit of the, the theory behind it. But in essence, these 40 year cycles, and, and let's look at the, the most recent ones. There was a we cycle from 1923 to 1963. And during a we cycle, people are looking for authenticity and transparency in relationships within society. Now, in 1963, it changed to a me cycle. And each cycle is preceded by activities and music and literature leading up to the change. And so 1963 became a me cycle where the emphasis is on personal development, the individual, business gurus and so forth. And when I talk about the, the, the music, if you think back to 1963 or around about that time, in the late... 50s, early 60s, there was Chubby Checker was leading the way. And the problem was that, yes, he was a, a, a trailblazer, but he was a Negro and wasn't well accepted. And then Elvis Presley came on the scene and he was really a white guy singing Negro songs effectively in the, in the style and beat. And that was the precursor to the cycle change in 63. Now, right on the cusp on the 63, you saw the Beatles emerge. Now, 
if you remember the very first pictures of the Beatles, they were all dressed, sure they had long hair, but they were dressed in suits and ties. And that's because they were on the cusp of the change from a, a we cycle to a me cycle. Four years later, have a look at the, go back and have a look at the record covers of Sgt Pepper's Lonely Heart Cubs band. They, it was into psychedelic, hippie, all that sort of stuff, because we were well entrenched into that me cycle. Now, as the pendulum swings from the bottom up to its height in the middle of the cycle, 20-year point, that's when you get the excesses in that cycle. And you, you only have to think back to Scase and Elliot and the Wall Street Wolves, as they used to call them. And society became plastic and phony, and it just wouldn't wear it. Now, the cycle changed in a wee, to a wee cycle in 2003, and now you think about it as community-based relationships, trust, and so forth. People want you to be real, raw, and relevant. And that's what's behind this move now from, as we were just discussing before, from push marketing to pull marketing. And the whole thing has changed. Unless you embrace it, you just are losing ground and will fall behind your competition. It, it almost sounds as though you need to develop a new language in, in order to get your message across in the current we cycle. You're right. And Ken, it's a bit, we're running out of time, I know, in this session, but you do need to develop a different language. And let me give you an example, and perhaps the female listeners will probably grasp this quicker than our male listeners. But the on television, L'Oreal have these ads for their cosmetics. Generally, a, a female movie star and very glamorous. They put it on and then they finish with a tagline. Now, 1995, it was because I'm worth it. Now, when it got to 2000, the tagline subtly changed to because you're worth it. And if you listen to the ads now, because in 2005 it changed to because we're worth it. So you can see that subtle change that they are really tuned into the marketplace. So they've moved from a, a me cycle to a we cycle in their choice of language. And everything you do now has to be individualised and focused to the end user. They're not interested in what you think of yourself and how good you think you are, all they want to know is what your product or service will do for them. And so, yes, you're right. The choice of language, and it's like speaking German to a French person, yes, they might get some of it and they might get the gist of the message, but they're not going to get the subtleties, the nuances and the emotional impact that you want to get them to do what it is your product or service is designed to have them do. So it is a different language. You've got to learn it. When we started out today, I was half expecting this to be a, a rather dry session, but it's been quite the opposite. In fact, I suspect our listeners may have gained far more than they had anticipated, and I would encourage them to leave their comments or any further questions they may have below this podcast. Or if, if you're listening on your iPhone, simply go to propertybriefings.com, episode 26, and leave your comments there. And you can also download that white paper on the cycles as well. So, thank you, Chris. 
An absolute pleasure, Ken. And before we finish this episode, I'd just like to wish you and all our listeners a very Merry Christmas.